Hello and welcome to the Juicy Joe Show with Nate Watt. Coming up today for you, we got a Super Bowl review. We have MLB news, and then we have kind of just a general overview of the NBA today. We're gonna start off with a Super Bowl review for you. The Buccaneers take down the Kansas City Chiefs 31 to nine in one of the worst Super Bowls in recent memory. Nate, what were your thoughts on that game? Yeah, it was it was ugly. Uh, we've. <laughs> We definitely have had some pretty ugly Super Bowls lately. That Rams-Patriots Super Bowl a couple years back was just, oh, man. Like, At least it was close, though. Like He, he kind of right? didn't know who was going to win when the fourth quarter came around. I guess, but that, like, I don't know that that makes a game good. Like, I wasn't watching the that, like, 3-3 Seahawks-Arizona game. Like, oh, thank God. I don't know who's going to win. Like, okay. Yeah, not, not the best game, obviously, but... Uh, you know, still had overall enjoyable time. Got to watch two really, really great quarterbacks who, quite frankly, are both probably going. We're going to see in the Super Bowl a couple more times each, uh, several times more with, with Patty. But yeah, overall, not, not not my favorite Super Bowl, to say the least. Yeah, my overall takeaways from the game are it was it was just really strange to see how the Chiefs came out. They looked lifeless overall, but. They always do, you know, in the first half. And it seems like when the second half comes around, you just know Patty Mahomes is going to work his magic. The end of the first quarter, it's 7-3 bucks. It can be anybody's game here. Then, end of the second quarter, the Bucks are up 21-6. to All right? It's starting to look like the Bucks are going to pull away. But again, Patty Mahomes has got to come back, right? He's got to work his magic just like he did in the last Super Bowl. Patty Mahomes will somehow find a way to make this happen. And... He did everything he could. He threw probably two or three of the most beautiful incomplete passes that anybody has ever seen. That throw where he is literally parallel to the ground and is somehow able to whip the ball 30 yards down the field and then hit his target in the face mask. That's why people think that he is the most talented quarterback that's ever played the game. And I am absolutely inclined to side with him. That he is absolutely like that was a baseball throw like most shortstops can't make that throw let alone that distance a shortstop shortstop's throwing what 50 feet 60 feet Patrick Mahomes was throwing fucking 50 yard like this dude could hit that throw from 150 feet out he is he's just insane and it was really unfortunate to see how badly that offensive line let him down Patrick Mahomes played really well quite frankly you could probably make the argument that Patrick Mahomes played better than Brady did, but the Chiefs' offensive line just, I mean, if the entire team came out looking lifeless, God knows what descriptor you would use for the offensive line. Like, they were the ones who killed everybody. It was it was awful. Wasn't it, wasn't it a, like a Super Bowl record pressures? There was a Super Bowl record of pressures, from my understanding, and then I read a stat, I'm sort of paraphrasing here because I don't remember the exact number, but I saw a stat where Mahomes ran something like 400 yards before trying to attempt his throws. That offensive line let him down so bad. The thing is, though, is, to be fair, everybody should have seen it coming. That That, or the Buccaneers' defensive line with JPP... Shaq Barrett, like you just kind of had to see this coming, but nobody wanted to believe it's the Chiefs were going to lose this game. You lose Mitchell Schwartz, right? Your right tackle, probably a top five right tackle in the game. That's already bad enough. And then right before you're about to go in the Super Bowl, 
almost in garbage time, where the game doesn't really matter anymore against the Bills, Eric Fisher goes down. And it looked like a brutal injury. And it kind of looked like from right then he wasn't going to be in that game. And that became the conversation point over the entire week was, are the Chiefs going to go to block that Bucks defensive line? And came to find out, no, they could not. Yeah, all the credit, all the credit to defensive coordinator Todd Bowles. He obliterated that game plan. That was absolutely just hit the hit the Chiefs where it hurt. Heck, I think if I'm remembering right, was it didn't Mahomes get hurt? Like in in the. Uh, I don't remember if it was the game before the Super Bowl or if it was the game before that, but he was also like playing on a bad foot, and he still did what he did. Like, he's crazy. Yeah, it's always <laughs> with Mahomes though. It's always it's always strange because Robert Sala had a quote going into the game where he warned the Bucks to not be fooled by Mahomes' old man jog in between plays. So I sometimes <laughs> wonder, like. Like, not to insult Mahomes' toughness by any means, but almost that he, like, without being controversial, almost kind of, like, fakes, like, the ankle injury to mm-hmm. kind of be like, oh, yeah, he's not going to be able to run. He's not going to be able to do any crazy stuff right now. He's going to, like, be able to stay in the pocket. But he always just keeps running around. No matter how hurt he gets, no matter the way he looks in between plays, Mahomes is able to just keep running around. Yeah, it, he's crazy. I, yeah, we don't. I don't want this to just turn into the gushing over Patrick Mahomes cast. <laughs> Seriously, yeah, <laughs> very fair. So I want to talk about Tom Brady. I I just want to see if you feel that there's like any arguments left against him really for being the greatest quarterback of all time. It it just seems to me that when you hit seven Super Bowls and you have more titles than any any individual team does. I just don't understand how you're able to make an argument anymore. Even me, myself, I've always been, and it's changed over over the recent years. I've kind of just tried to enjoy the game a lot more, but I've always been a Brady detractor. I've always tried to tear him down and always tried to make excuses for why this happened and why that happened. I know his defense has always been top 10 in points per game, but I mean, when you get seven and you leave Belichick and you go win right after that, like, Come on. I know it was kind of a super team, but you still you still got to play the game. You got to win the games. And he played a super he could play the super team in the Super Bowl. So, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's like I really don't want to have to say that Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time cuz I, I I hate Tom Brady. I'm gonna be real. I do not like Tom Brady. I've been a huge Tom Brady tracker for years. Partially cuz I didn't like him, but also partially I was I've always been a big uh not not like discrediting rings for somebody's somebody's legacy, but like I put a, I put a lot less emphasis on them typically than other people. Um, I don't think some like the the entire argument for Eli Manning being a, being an NFL Hall of Famer is that he has two he won two Super Bowls against Brady. Like I I I don't buy that. Um, I don't I don't think that rings are the be all end all of measuring quarterbacks like a lot of people do. But man. I, yeah, you, you said it. There really just isn't much of an argument. Like, seven Super Bowl rings. That's, cr- that's just crazy. Like, do you remember Do you remember how, like, the feeling when the Steelers, like, ended up getting six? Like, how weird that was for everybody when Brady just, like, kept hacking at it. Kept hacking. 
All right, now he's tied with the Cowboys and the Niners. All right, now he's tied with the Steelers. Oh, there's no way Brady's ever going to get seven. He's too old now. He's too old. His career in New England literally ends with an interception. It might have been a pick six if I remember right. I think you might be right. Like, that was the way his career ended in New England, and it's like, okay. I, I, I thought the Bucks were going to be good this year. Don't get me wrong. I was like, there's just too much talent on this roster for them to not at least be a decent team. But I never at any point through the season thought that the Buccaneers were going to be able to even make it to the Super Bowl, let alone win the Super Bowl. And I think that was it for me where I was just like, I'm just going to shut up here. I'm just going to shut up now. Like, I got nothing bad to say about Tom Brady, like, seven. Come on. You could have asked me any of the first 17 weeks of the season who I thought the best team in the NFC South was, and I wouldn't have said the Buccaneers, but man. Let alone the rest of the NFC. Right? Oh, man. Yeah. So a couple interesting things from this game was Tom Brady (laughs) really didn't have to do too much to, like, come away with the win, but it was kind of just in typical Tom Brady fashion. He's going to do everything he needs to win the game. He didn't put – he could have easily put his defense in a terrible terrible position. He could have thrown two picks, could have given Mahomes great field position, could have been able to open the entire game up. But that's not what Tom Brady does. Tom Brady comes out 21 for 29, right? So he's above 70% on the completion percentage. It's like 80%. That, yeah. Three touchdowns. Zero interceptions. I, you, he gave you everything you needed for them to come away with the win. And can we talk about playoff Lenny for a second? We can absolutely he, talk about playoff Lenny. Oh, my gosh. Gets cut by the Jaguars. Nobody wants It doesn't seem like anybody even wants him. He just kind of happens to sign with the Bucks. He's doing nothing for most of the season. He has one really, really good game in, like, week six or something where he goes for over 100. But for the rest, it's pretty unimpressive. And then we hit playoffs. And he just starts going to work. Uh, yeah, nobody wanted him as accurate. I was a, I've been a Leonard Fournette owner in fantasy back to back years. Nobody wanted him in the first year. He had, he had a nice little season for me. That's a crazy game. It's like kind of how it always was with Fournette. It's like the the end of the season line is good, and you're like, oh fuck, he ran for almost a thousand yards. Oh, he had four hundred of those in three games. But man, like it, it is so satisfying seeing a guy who had to suffer so much having to play for the Jaguars of all teams. Like, I'm not going to pretend, like, the criticisms that have been made of Leonard Fournette aren't entirely fair, because they are. He's definitely not been, I think, kind of what he was drafted to be. That He certainly wasn't, hasn't been what he's been drafted to be. But, man, he absolutely stepped it up, given finally given the chance to just, like, to really be on a just fantastic team and just, yeah. I sometimes feel like the expectations for Leonard Fournette coming in the NFL were, were just almost too high. Like, you're looking at Leonard Fournette, and he is just, he's huge. He's just a tank of a human. And in college, he was able to outrun everybody. And I, I kind of had my doubts going into the NFL if he was going to be able to kind of just have that game-breaking speed he had in college. But in the NFL, I don't, I don't have a lot of problems with Fournette. He... I mean, he's not like a top 10 running back by any means or anything like that, but he he's somebody that you can give 20 carries a game and know that he's just going to grind out those yards for you. But in the Super Bowl, biggest game of the year, 16 carries, 89 yards. And the part that caught, caught me off guard personally was he had four catches for 46 yards. 
He was he was the second leading receiver for the Buccaneers in this game. <laughs> he and he was right behind somebody I also want to talk about, Rob Gronkowski, who I I'm so glad that he is back in the NFL. He is just I mean he's just like a man child. He's like he just says what's on his mind. He's cool. He's fun. He's literally just here to have a good time. He didn't come back to the Buccaneers for any out-of-pocket reasons. It was all just because he wanted to play with his buddy Tom again and have a chance at a Super Bowl. And all season, you know, I mean, the, the tight end to play in the NFL right now is... I don't want to call it abysmal because you have some really, really elite people at that position right now killing it. But even Gronk, with like a, definitely a mediocre season for Gronk, below-average season, in the Super Bowl, biggest game of the year... He goes for six catches, 67 yards, two touchdowns. Like, how awesome was it to see Gronk have a big coming out game? Everybody loves Gronk. Everybody loves Gronk. And if you if you don't like Gronk, you're absolutely lying to yourself because he is fantastic. Yeah, I, I guess that's what he was saving, like saving up for all year. Like all the all the early week games I'm watching, and he's just like freaking running, like he's got a load in his pants. Like I thought, <laughs> I thought Gronk was, I thought Gronk was done when he came back into the NFL. And then I watched him the first couple weeks. I'm like, yeah, Gronk is finished. Like I love Gronk. It makes me so sad to see Gronk like this, but like. Just hang him up, bro. Go get back to get back to the CBD and WWE and <laughs> everything else he was doing. But no, he absolutely showed up for the Super Bowl, and it was like I don't. I've never liked the Patriots, but there is something so cool about seeing Brady and Gronk together. Like any like quarterback wide receiver tandems are just awesome. Like just the fact that they exist, and like because. Brady and Gronk, they they like broke the record for uh, like best touchdown tandem in the, in the Super Bowl history. It's crazy. Like it wasn't a good game, but it felt like every five minutes there was some like some stat the announcer was spouting off about how the most like the most somebody's ever done this. The first time, like there were a lot of milestones in this game, and that's that that's really cool. Yeah, I mean, that's what happens when you just have two people that have achieved as much as they have in their careers. And even Gronk, the thing I love about Gronk is there's a lot of players that have injury-ridden careers, and it's kind of just, it just deters them. But, I mean, I would find it hard to find many people that don't believe that Gronk is a top three tight end of all time. I feel like most people really, really do believe that. Uh, so to get on to the to, to um, some of the Chiefs players that had really good games, but obviously just wasn't able to uplift them into the winning. Um, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire had nine carries for 64 yards. So this dude's averaging seven yards per carry. I am still genuinely confused as to why he was not used more to neutralize that pass rush. It just... It seemed to me that the Chiefs just accepted that they were going to have to put the game on Mahomes' shoulders. And I, I don't even understand that. And you have nine carries for 64 yards. Your running back is being productive. And it wasn't just one long carry. He was steady over those nine carries. I, I just I want to know your thoughts on why you think the Chiefs just did not run the ball more. I really agree with you, actually, the, on the point of the Chiefs kind of over-relied on Patrick Mahomes. Um, 
I think like Kansas City has definitely kind of built that identity under Patrick Mahomes, under Andy Reid, especially and especially with Tyree Kill, um, of just being this team that just kills you with the deep, like kills you in the passing game. Travis Travis Kelsey. Like speaking of guys who I don't I don't think you I don't know that you could call Travis Kelsey a top three tight end right now, but a couple years down the road like he is insane. Like but maybe not as dominant as Gronk in his prime, obviously, but dude is doing some crazy things in the tight end position. I think, yeah, I I really don't like. It's kind of hard for me to fathom because Clyde Edwards-Helaire is so good. It's just so strange to me that such a fantastic offensive mind as Andy Reid really just kind of decided not to use him. Like, yeah, I honestly, yeah, really, I don't know. Because I can't, I don't think there is a reason you can come up with besides just Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes. But when the offensive line won't let Patrick Mahomes be Patrick Mahomes, it, it sort of... Uh, Makes that an issue. So I just want to briefly cover the fact that Tyreek Hill had seven catches for 73 yards. He had a really good game. Not what you're expecting, though. I want to say he had one carry for five yards. Yeah, that's something like that. So he wasn't super productive in the game, but I also don't think that was his fault. He's he got to get Tyreek Hill is the type of wide receiver where you're going to have to have good protection for him to really just break the game. But Travis Kelsey, man, 10 catches, 133 yards. He was he was really the silver lining in the game for the Chiefs, in my opinion. It just kind of showed that no matter how bad things get, no matter how bad Mahomes is getting rushed on every play, Kelsey is just so incredible. Yeah, like not even just the Super Bowl. The game before against the Bills, 13 catches, 118 yards, two touchdowns. Game before that against the Browns. Which, okay, the, the, the Browns were barely a play. Like, I don't, I don't even know if you can really call them a playoff team. Sorry, Browns fans, but still. Eight they, ca- won, they won one. Yeah, you know what? Fair, <laughs> fair enough. Okay, I, I, I retract my statement. That is very fair. Eight catches, 109 yards, a touchdown against the Browns. Like, the last time that Kelsey, Kelsey has gone below 50 yards receiving this season, one time. Wow! One just time in the one. entire season, with uh, with eight c- counting playoffs and regular season, eight games over a hundred. I mean, just then for him to go over a hundred in every single playoff game too. I mean, that is. I mean, that's just miraculous. I, you were saying earlier, like I don't know that I would. I don't know that I would necessarily disagree if somebody told me that Travis Kelsey is the third greatest tight end of all time in their mind. Yeah, it's, I don't know that I would necessarily like have some great argument against that. I mean, I don't know what his stats have been the last couple of years, but I'm pretty sure he's been over a thousand like the last four years. The last, the yeah, the last time he didn't go over a thousand for a season was in 2015, uh, where he was still a Pro Bowler. Which I mean, Pro Bowls are whatever you make of them, mm-hmm. but bef- even the year before that, 862 yards as effectively a rookie. Because he played one game, no no catches, no nothing in 2013. So basically his rookie year, 67 catches for 862 and five touchdowns, which is, I mean, it, by Travis Kelsey standards, it's pretty mediocre. Mm-hmm. But by literally like 95% of NFL tight end standards, that's insane. 
That, that just that just shows how good he is in a nutshell. I mean, Travis Kelsey's insane. Okay, I want to wrap up this Super Bowl conversation with with just like Eric B. Enemy. I I don't really know who was the one that was making all these big decisions in the Super Bowl to not give Clyde more carries to try to. It seemed to me early on they were at least trying to get the short game going a little bit on screens and little dump-off passes and just, like, quick plays, but the Bucks were just destroying it. It seemed like, to me, in his big showcase where Eric Bieniemy had to scheme up the Chiefs to win, where it was kind of all on his shoulders to do so, he kind of just fell flat, and I wonder if... GMs and owners and everybody is like watching this tape and has just been like has interviewed him and talked to him and everything and I've kind of just decided like he's not their guy because this is now two years in a row that nobody has picked up Eric Bieniemy as their coach. It's I mean I don't, as far as I know there's no available coaching uh, head coaching spots left. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. I can't think of any off the top of my head. Um, it doesn't it just doesn't seem like he's gonna get a job again this year and I. Like, I kind of just wonder if people knew that it was more Mahomes than it was Biennemi at all. And will Biennemi ever get a job? I think... I would be inclined to say I do think he will get a job at some point. I think in the NFL, we have seen enough guys who have been good for very short periods of time get very, very big jobs handed to them. And it really would shock me if... Teams were if teams just decided, oh no, we're we're gonna we're gonna we're not gonna hire Beanie because he was bad in a in one Super Bowl, or the the Chiefs played poorly in one Super Bowl. I don't think that falls one hundred percent on him, but but it definitely it definitely does fall on him a bit. But I don't think that would be enough for teams to just decide, nah, we're we're out on this guy. Um, I mean, Adam Gase, Adam Gase milked. A, a couple year stretch that was arguably pretty ru- like roughly equivalent to what the enemy is doing right now, and he was still an NFL head coach until this year. How I like I don't know how that's possible, and I don't. I really hope Adam Gase is not the rule. I hope he is an exception, but I have to think at some point next year, maybe the year after that, some team has to kick the tires on him. There's just, there's no excuse not to. Like, even if you think, like, he has he has an easy job because he has Patrick Mahomes. Sure. He has an easy job because he coaches under Andy Reid, one of the greatest offensive minds in NFL history. Sure. Very fair. But, one, coaching in, under Andy Reid is, there's not a whole lot of better resume builders in the NFL right now. Um... And two, like, I don't know that you can really... Like, I am really against the argument arguments where the entire crux of it is ex-player slash ex-coach is not good because they had ex... Because they had, like, ex-player or ex-coach with them. Like, I hate... Like, as much as I've tried to be a Brady detractor, I've never liked the argument of, like, oh, Brady's Brady's only good because he has Belichick. No. It takes two to tango... One guy, like, can carry a coach can carry a player to an extent, and a player can carry a coach to an extent. 
but a like a really great player under a bad coach is still going to be worse. Like, I just have to imagine that with what the enemy's done, even if you can, even if you can take a lot of it away from him, that's still better than what basically any job candidate in the NFL can can offer right now. So just to kind of wrap it up, I guess my thoughts on it are: if it wasn't this season, like he's not going to get a job. I don't see what's going to change in the future for a team to decide they want him. It seems like the market for head coaches this year really was pretty small. It kind of there's a lot of candidates typically where it's like, oh, well, this guy's going to get a job, this guy's going to get a job, this guy's going to get a job. There's probably three, four names where it was like, really? He just got hired to be a head coach? And it was over the enemy, and then the Super Bowl just happened, so... I don't know, I just wanted to get your thoughts on that, but I personally, I just, I don't know what the enemy can do for to actually, like, get a job. So, that's going to wrap up the Super Bowl segment. Um, overall, just was a very bad game, but <laughs> we got a lot of fun storylines out of it, and yeah. All right, well, thanks for listening to that first segment. Uh, Nate, you have any finishing thoughts? Uh, no, actually, you know what, I will say... The halftime show was dope, and anybody who tries to tell you it wasn't is absolutely tripping. Um, and that's how we're, that's where we'll end the show, so Joe can't uh, rebut here. <laughs> Sounds good. All right, welcome to the second segment of the Juicy Joe Show with Nate Watt. On this segment, we're going to be talking about some MLB news, just kind of give you a scoop of what's been going on lately. What we're going to open up with is the Dodgers, World Series champions, they're able to ante up even more going into this, this next season by signing one of the best pitchers in baseball, Mr. Trevor Bauer, to a three-year, $102 million deal. Follow it up shortly after with a two-year, $34 million deal to bring Justin Turner back. It is just absolutely absurd that the World Series champions were able to get a top five pitcher in baseball. And then I just personally want to shout myself out at this part of the at this part of the show for predicting Trevor Bauer three years ago. I spoke it into existence LeVar Ball style and now look at him. Cy Young winner, Trevor Bauer. Nate, what I want to know is do you think it's almost starting to become a problem? how much money the Dodgers have at their disposal, and how is somebody even going to be able to compete with them? That is a tough question that I have thought a lot about, honestly, because it is crazy. The Do- I was looking at it the other day. The Dodger, the amount of money the Dodgers are going to be paying in luxury, or, oh, is it? I can't remember off the top of my head. If it's the amount of money they're going to be paying in luxury taxes or how much they're over the luxury tax is more than the payroll of some MLB teams. <laughs> it is ridiculous. However, I honestly don't know that baseball necessarily needs a salary cap. However, I absolutely will die on the hill that the MLB needs a salary floor. Because, like, the big thing, the one of the big hot topic issues in baseball right now is kind of. Now, I don't want. I don't know that players versus owners is really the way to frame this, but um, just players kind of getting like fair value, like their their fair value in free agency, in arbitration, 
just all over the place. And this is absolutely going to lead to a strike next year. I I wish it wasn't going to happen, but there's absolutely no way in my mind that the 2022 baseball season is not strike shortened in some capacity. It is it is bad right now. So I don't really want to criticize the Dodgers for going out and giving their dudes money. Like, I guess you can complain all you want about, like, oh, they just have such this crazy market. Like, it's not fair for the smaller market teams. But at the end of the day, the own, like, that, ah, okay. I'm going to keep this thing short because I don't want, I don't want this to just be anti, anti rich people <laughs> ranting for the entire time. But let's be real. Even the owners of the can of the Kansas City Royals, sure, they're not going to have the money to spend that the Mets have, that the Dodgers have, but they can spend a whole hell of a lot more than they're spending right now. So I don't, I, I don't feel like it's really right to criticize teams for like spending too much. Heavy air quotes when there are teams like the the Pirates who are actively going out of their way to try to get rid. Of basically anyone not making the league, almost the league minimum salary, it's insane. Um, so I, I wouldn't say that it's a problem, but I also don't really know that anybody can stop them. It is you could, I guess, you could argue that it's bad for baseball to have one team that is just so so good. I do think that I don't. I would argue that the Dodgers are the best team in the MLB. I don't I don't even know that you really can argue much against that. But I also would argue maybe that they I don't know that they will lead the MLB in wins because the Padres are arguably the second best team in baseball and they're in their division. It's insane. Like the Padres I mean, I don't like you could maybe make a case for Padres over Dodgers. People have certainly tried. I don't really buy it. But there is like a, a very small case to be made. The, the Padres are going to be incredible. Like we are not ready for how – I mean the Padres were incredible last year and they've literally only gotten – they've only gotten better. And it's not just like, oh, we're adding little pieces here. Like their starting lineup has largely stayed the same, but they've added Haseon Kim from Korea – who, like, are, I don't know, who is arguably, like, a top 100 prospect who is probably MLB ready right now, will certainly start the start the season in the big leagues. Very strong utility player who I think could be a lot better than some people are giving him credit for. I think it kind of feels like with players coming over from Japan and Korea, it feels like a lot of times the pitching gets a bit overblown um, with sometimes some of the batters kind of flying under the radar, which to be fair, uh, hitters coming over from Korea and Japan and China and Taiwan to an extent have had like, there've been some big, some kind of big public misses lately, which I think is kind of fair. And also we are kind of still coming off the, the Shohei Otani Hangover, where when you add, when you bring over a player as as ridiculously good and talented and any other list of amazing adjectives as Shohei Otani, like 
every other player is kind of just going to get compared to him, and they're they're never going to win. Haseon Kim, super underrated addition. They add obviously you Darvish and Blake Snell, a pair a pair of dudes. Blake Snell, former Cy Young winner. You Darvish, runner up last year, absolutely incredible season. I thought he should have won. Trevor, I mean, it's like Trevor Bauer had an insane season. I don't want to discredit that at all. I still would have voted for you, Darvish. And even beyond that, Joe Musgrove, who up to this point has not shown anything world, kind of world break. Like his results have been very middling. Like kind of looking at it at the surface, it's not that exciting of a move. But man, the talent there! Like, if you just dig a little deeper, some of the advanced, some of the advanced stats are not like, not even that. This dude added like two miles per hour to his fastball. Like, he is going to be so good, and this is probably going to bite me in the butt so much because Joe Musgrove is just going to tank now. I know it, <laughs> but I am so excited for Joe Musgrove with the defense he's going to have behind him with the offense. Supporting him to get him those wins, like Joe Musgrove is going to be a beast. They add Mark Melanson, one of the better relievers in baseball, to already one of the best bullpens in baseball. Keon Keela, an all right reliever, but he, I mean, he's arguably their worst reliever, which is insane. He could close in on some teams. Like the Padres are so good. And it still probably won't matter. The Dodgers will still probably beat them in the NLCS in five games. Like, the Dodgers are so, so good. It is going to be really interesting to see if... So, something that happened in the NBA last year was... I don't feel like the... There's like a lot of teams that are at the top that don't really care that much about the regular season. It's more so playoff time. And I kind of wonder if the Dodgers just know that they're so good as long as they get the wild card spot. But that's that's also a scary thing to be in the wild card. They don't want to like have any type any playing games or anything like that. So I think they're going to go really really hard after the Padres. I don't think they're going to be okay with the Padres winning the NL West. Yeah, um, I I agree with you to an extent. The Dodgers absolutely know that they're they're not playing to make the playoffs. They're playing to win the World Series. It's the reason um, last year when Ken, when they traded Kenta Maeda to the, to the Twins, one of the reasons that was so exciting as someone who's a big fan of Kenta Maeda is because he is such a good pitcher. And we saw it last year when, the, when he got full run with the Twins. He's incredible. But the Dodgers... The, he was the fourth best, maybe the fifth best pitcher on the Dodgers starting rotation. Like, they don't need him, or they don't really need anybody to go 100, 180, let alone 200 innings. Like, the Dodgers, it, it, has, it has a term in, in like, the, the greater baseball community, Dodgeritis, that basically Dodgers pitchers are going to get handled with the kid gloves because the Dodgers can afford to. Because, the like... There's no reason for the Dodgers to just to just like uh, ride Walker Buehler's arm ragged for for 200 plus innings in the regular season, and then have him throw 30 more in the in the uh, in the postseason. Like with the as good of a bullpen as the Dodgers have, with as good of an offense as they have, like they just don't really have a reason to ride on the guy super hard. 
Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how it all unfolds, but I think we both agree that the Dodgers are probably going to be winning another World Series title at the end of the year, barring some injuries and stuff like that. So the next thing I want to move on to is Chris Bryant trade rumors. A report, a report came out earlier today that the Cubs president was denying that his name had come up in any trade rumors, but obviously you never know. I just, I'm just i curious to see if you think the Cubs are just trying to shut it down to try to get more for Bryant. And then if he did go to a potential suitor like the Mets, what kind of return do you think the Cubs would get? That is that is really tough. Um, one of the things with Chris Bryant, I, and I do absolutely believe the Cubs are shopping him. I have no reason. It is very obvious that the Cubs, that Chris Bryant will not be returning to the Cubs once he's a free agent this year. The entire the entire situation with his MLB grievance and the and the service time suppression, like that relationship has soured. And while I don't think that it would necessarily have a negative effect on like his playing regular season. Like, I don't think this is just going to be like a, if he stays on the Cubs, he's just terrible because he's pissed the whole time. But the, 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 the Cubs know as well as he does that he will not be returning to the Cubs. So they really, and I think other MLB teams know that as well. And I don't think that the package to acquire Chris Bryant is going to be quite as, uh, as robust as some people might think, considering he's a former every MVP winner, just because they don't have a ton of leverage. The Cubs at this point, I would say, are kind of a fringe playoff. They could make playoffs, but there's not really a world where they make a run. Um, they're really the only... If they were in a better division, like, if they were... Literally, if they were in any other division in baseball, I would not consider them a playoff team. But the NL Central is just... So, not even bad, just, like, shockingly middling that, like, there's still a world where they make the playoffs. But they really just, they don't have much leverage with the Chris Bryant negotiations. So I do think that any trade package will be, on, on kind of the smaller side, probably like an MLB-ready re, MLB bat or arm. Um, plus a couple of a couple of like lower lower top twenty prospects, um, maybe top maybe even top thirty. Um, and it, the interesting thing too is people online and just like just everybody's kind of nobody really knows what this return is going to look like. This offseason is this off season has been really strange because we've seen some huge names get traded. But every single time, the return package for those players was always really, really underwhelming because other teams knew that the reason these players are getting traded, the reason Blake Snell was traded, the reason the Cubs, the Cubs traded you Darvish, the reason the, the Indians traded Francisco Lindor was to save money. So, and especially because the Cubs have shown that they are trying to cut payroll by getting rid of you, Darvish, that sort of also kind of diminishes a lot of leverage they have. That said, in terms of what they could maybe expect to get from the Mets, I do think J.D. Davis is going to be a part of a Chris Bryant deal. If it happens, the Mets just have too many bats, too many guys who kind of have that same skill set as J.D. on the roster. Um, there's not a great spot. The outfield is already crowded. Not a great spot for him there. And if the if the Mets could acquire Bryant, his ability to play third 
really doesn't matter at that point. So I think J.D. Davis would definitely be a part of it. And then a couple of kind of lower, just lower-level prospects. Um, honestly, at, at, that, at that point, it's really – there's not much point to kind of throwing out names necessarily. It, just because it's such a uh, – it's such a dart throw, especially with the Mets system. At the top, they do have a lot of guys who are getting who are getting close to contributing uh, at the MLB level or at the higher levels of the majors. But they all, but the the bottom kind of the bottom of their top thirty is really full of a lot of young guys who who at whichever won the cut. Like I have no clue which one of 15 random 17-year-old Dominican outfielders the Cubs want. It's just kind of whatever whatever the team's feeling like. So one name I've seen a bit, which kind of surprises me because I really don't think the Mets would part with him, is outfielder Pete Crow Armstrong, who uh, very, very low level of the minors. He is still a rookie ball. He's not going to contribute anywhere near the majors for a few more years. But he is the, the Mets' number five prospect, who I have seen quite a bit. Uh, J.D. Davis and Pete uh, together has been a trade package kind of floated around I've seen a few times. And I really don't know how I feel about that. I don't think the Mets would part with Pete Crow Armstrong if they were also giving up players because J.D. Davis. Um, but I think a, a trade of a similar kind of magnitude with a little less prospect power is kind of what we can expect. All right, yeah, I guess I guess we're going to see what happens with Chris Bryant. I guess the only reason that I could possibly see them not trading him is the owner thinks that they might be able to somehow squeak into the playoffs because of how bad their division is and maybe just having a guy like Chris Bryant on that roster could uplift them. But I, I think it's a lot of smoke, the report, and I he'll probably end up being shipped somewhere by, by the uh, trade deadline. So I want to get into the, um, the Benintendi trade. So just a breakdown of the trade. The Red Sox get Franchi Cordero. They get two players from the Royals. The right-handed pitcher, uh, Josh Winkowski, and a player to be named from the Mets. The Royals get uh, Ben Intendi and cash considerations from the Red Sox. Very important. And the Mets get Khalil Lee from the Royals. I, I just want to know how... Okay, first of all, I want to know what you think of each team's return. Like, if you think that they improved, if they got worse, if they put themselves in a good position for the future... And then one other thing is I want to know your thoughts on the Red Sox just winning a, a World Series a couple years ago, and now they're it seems like they're just in full rebuild mode. Mm-hmm. It, it is it is weird seeing the Red Sox do what they're doing, um, and it it really sucks as a baseball fan because they they I don't care how bad their roster is in any given year they are the Boston Red Sox like. They, they could go from a 60-win team. They could buy 40 wins every year in free agency if they wanted to. But for some reason, they're just like, oh, no, this Mookie Betts guy, we don't want him. Gone. Jackie Bradley Jr., no, we don't want to pay him. Gone. Ben Intendi, I actually I, – I am on the – like, I don't disagree with the Red Sox trading him. I think that it, it's been kind of obvious the last the last kind of – about year that Benintendi, I think a, I think a new a fresh start is kind of what's best for both sides. Boston does have a lot of a lot of kind of exciting uh, potential outfield options. 
that I am really excited to see. Um, Michael Duran in AAA, especially, is an absolute monster who has been sh- like just shooting up prospect rankings. Uh, he was like a lot of hype really early in his minors career, and then he kind of he kind of fizzled out for a couple years, and then he's, he he had he stole something like fifty three bases in twenty had just an insane twenty nineteen season. So everybody's excited about him again, and I really really like Franchi Cordero. I think that the Red Sox did really well in this trade, which seems like kind of an unpopular opinion. It seems like a lot of people really don't like this trade for for Boston. That's all I've seen. I've actually seen quite a few people say that they're impressed that somehow in a three-team trade everybody lost, <laughs> which I don't necessarily agree with. I think I think all three teams actually did reasonably well and kind of got what they needed. Um, but I love Cordero. Dude has insane natural tools he's fast dude can hit it over them their mountains like he is so good he's he's super young he's really never gotten it he never had a chance in san diego um just i mean there's a reason san diego is so good now they have they've just had so much young talent for so long goes to goes to kansas city doesn't do a whole lot with the with the shortened season which was Really disappointing to me. I was very excited to see what Frankie Cordero could do with a full-time job. And it's looking like he should have that again in Boston. Boston is gonna play so Boston is gonna play so well with his power. Like I could see him being just so good. I think that he at this point, I would say his upside is probably higher to me than Ben Intendi's in Boston. Um, that said. Franchi Cordero also really hasn't shown anything at the MLB level, so you can only uh, you can only dream on great tools for so long before it's just clear a guy doesn't have it. Which Benintendi has shown in the past that he does have it. He probably still has it, if we're being honest. I would I would definitely lean more on the side of of Benintendi being like a 110 OPS plus kind of guy, like a a fairly above average player, offensive player, then I would say I would say that is much more likely than him again being a below average hitter. Um, but I think this is I think it's a really good move for Kansas City. They have been at it. They've been making a lot of really nice moves this year. It's it's been weird to see Kansas City of all teams being like active in free agency and and trades and like making moves for players who make money because they've absolutely been one of those teams that just is very averse to spending money. Another team that won a World Series and then a couple years later, like, that entire core is just is just gone. Um, I, I'd actually be really curious to look at, like, how many players in Kansas City are left from that World Series team because it... It cannot be very many, <laughs> or like, and especially not like impact players, like Salvador Perez and Alex Gordon might be the maybe maybe Danny Duffy. I would have to look, but like, they have not retained a lot of that. To to see them bring in some like kind of excited, exciting names. I don't care. I don't want to get. I don't want to get too ahead of myself. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna blow smoke up Carlos Santana and Mike Miner's asses. Like, they kind of are who they are. They're good players. But those are the exactly the kind of moves that I think rebuilding teams should be making. Like, 
the the Royals aren't really like they're not paying Carlos Santana anything. They're they're not going to be paying Ben Attendee all that much to be honest. Like just really, really affordable deals for players who realistically could could be cornerstones for a while if Kansas City does get a lot better in a short time, which I could see. I think Kansas City is actually a team that's kind of getting slept on a little bit. Um, again, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. I don't think that they are that close to being a playoff team. But within a couple of years, like, they could absolutely be a very strong squad. Um, and worst-case scenario, you, you blow and you flip them at the trade deadline because they're not making anything. Like, I, I really like what Kansas City's been doing. I really like this deal. The, the cash considerations are a little ridiculous. It, it's always a little... Uh, it's always a little whack to see teams just getting money in a deal. Like, come on, dog. Just get a... Like, your owner's a billionaire. Just pay the dude an extra $2 million and just get another prospect. But it's neither here nor there. Khalil Lee for the Mets, I think a very... A very good get for them. I think he's a really talented player. A lot of really great tools. Could definitely be a guy who can contribute at the Major League level this year or next. But the Mets have also made a lot of deals that make getting Khalil Lee not make sense. They just signed Kevin Pillar yesterday to play center field, which... I mean, there's worse moves you could make, but, like, Kevin Pillar is a well-below-average offensive player. Amazing defender, but, like, he's not going to... He doesn't elevate the team at all. They signed Albert Almora, who is just not good. Again, really good defender. That's awesome. The Mets have had plenty of really good center field defenders who just can't hit a lick, which Albert Almora absolutely cannot. Like... He is so bad. I, I was excited about Almora coming up. And I do think, to his credit, I don't think it's all his fault. That I don't remember how much uh, I don't remember how much you remember about a couple years, I think it was 2019, where he uh, he like injured a fan with a foul ball. Um, like put him in the hospital. I think it ended up being that like, I think she like the the fan has like permanent. It was like a like a little kid like permanent brain damage. Um, but we saw like when it happened, he was just so shaken by it, which I mean, understandably, I, understandably so. I asked like I was shaken, and I wasn't the person who just accidentally did this. And looking like. He has been very noticeably worse since then, which is fair, and that's really unfortunate. Um, but yeah, I don't. I just don't know that he is the same player after that. Which I would argue is, I, I, okay, maybe not. I, I don't know that saying it's a good thing is really the way I want to put it. But like, I don't know how you could be like that is. That is just rough. Maybe maybe having a fresh start in New York kind of helps him helps him clear his head. Maybe that's not the issue at all. I mean, not to say he was all that great beforehand, but I, I don't understand the deal for the Mets, especially if they're just going to go out and get Khalil Lee. Like, their outfield was crowded before they signed Almora, and then they bring in this guy who effectively adds zero value, like any defensive value he adds wiped out by how bad he is with the bat. Kevin Pillar, average at best. 
Khalil Lee is exciting, but how how do you fit him onto a roster when you already have Michael Conforto, Brandon Nimmo, Dominic Smith, who all need outfield reps? <laughs> they signed Jonathan VR, who can play center field. JD Davis can play the outfield. Like they have so many outfielders, and then they just add two guys who at best are a net zero for you. It's very weird. But on paper, I like I like the, I like Khalil Lee. I like I like the acquisition of the player. I just don't really know what the Mets are doing. I like the I like the offseason they've had overall. Um, I think they've done a pretty good job of just kind of adding some solid pieces to really push them over the edge um, and make them a legit contender this year, or at least a legit contender to to get bonked by the Dodgers in the NLCS. But uh, yeah, I. I like the, I like the Khalil Lee get on paper. That 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 I think that's my that I think that is my uh, my ultimate conclusion. That in theory I like it, but I don't know what how the Mets are going to get value out of him with the way they've constructed the roster. All right, well, just overall, it just sounds like it was a very interesting team for or an interesting trade for all three teams to say the least. Um, some points of it really didn't even make much sense, especially the cash considerations for Boston, but. Yeah, what a what a big trade for the offseason. Um, so we're, we're going to wrap up the MLB segment there. Uh, did you have any finishing thoughts that you wanted to say, Nate? Um, pitchers and catchers report tomorrow. I am so, so excited for baseball to be back. Like, oh, man, I am so ready for baseball. I don't know if it's just because we had the, such a short season last year. It started up so late. It was just really hard for me to kind of get my head into the space to, to really just – be hyped for baseball, but oh man, I am. It's 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 exactly the same thing that happened with college basketball, where because because COVID cut that short for me, I am so so excited for it this year. Pitchers and catchers report tomorrow. The rest of them report on the 18th. We're like a week away from spring training games. I'm so excited. Let's go. Let's get let's get ready. The MLB season is coming soon. So that's how we're gonna end the second segment of the Juicy Joe Show with Nate Watt. And then I'll have the third segment coming soon for you. All right. Welcome to the third segment of the Juicy Joe Show with Nate Watt. On this segment, we're going to be getting into just like a general overview of the NBA. We're going to get into both conferences, Western Conference, Eastern Conference. We're going to go down from one to eight and then give some thoughts on some teams that we're kind of surprised aren't in there right now, or at least in that mix, um, with one exception. And we're just going <laughs> to kind of talk about how bad one specific team has been. Uh, we're going to... Open up with the 76ers, Nate. Number one seed in the East right now. What have you seen from them this season? They're they're absolutely incredible. One of the best, one of the best uh, big threes in basketball, which is c- kind of crazy to say in today's league climate. But the way that Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris have been playing, like they're they're incredible. Tobias Harris, especially, I just want to throw a quick spotlight on. 21 points playing on a team with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Throwing in seven, seven rebounds a game, three assists a game, 90% free throw shooter, 40, 43% three-point shooter, 52% from the field. Dude is a 50-40-90 shooter right now. That's ridiculous. Like, and Tobias, I mean, Tobias Harris has always been good. He's been, he's been really good for a while. Definitely come into his own the last couple of years, but man, he's just on another level right now. 
Yeah, I mean, especially everybody was clowning on him for, or not clowning on him, but clowning on the 70s, which is for signing him to that max deal. It seemed like they chose him over Jimmy Butler, which most people were like, what are you doing? But right now, he seems to be fitting into that roster really well, and I didn't think Brett Brown was a great coach. Personally, I did not feel that way. So my big my big thing right now on the 76ers is that hire of Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers knows how to manage superstars. He just he gets it. He I, I what I love that he did for Ben Simmons was I feel like he kind of lowered the expectations for Ben. He's like, I don't care if you're gonna shoot three-pointers. I don't care. I want you to do what you do at an elite level, which is play defense and run the offense. And he's still getting 15 points a game on efficient shooting. Career low numbers, but Ben Simmons has been insane. Um, the addition of Seth Curry has been underrated. He is giving them a nice three-point shooter for Ben to kind of just kick out to him on the wing. Same for Embiid off the block. Um, overall, the 76ers have, I don't know that I'd say exceeded expectations, but any expectations that were given to them, they have met them. Um, second seed in the East right now, we have the Milwaukee Bucks. Nobody is surprised to see the Bucks here right now. They started off a little bit slow coming into the season, but Nate, I know you're a really big Bucks fan. Like, what have you seen from them personally this season? Uh, yeah, yeah. The the Bucks again, one of the best teams in the NBA. Giannis Antetokounmpo. I know he's been talked to death. There's a reason this dude has been talked to death. He is absolutely insane. Argue like this season is definitely kind of a step back from last year. It's numbers last year, man. 30 points, 14 re- like oh my god, he was so good. So to set the fact that we can look at a player averaging 28, 12 and 6 and say, "Huh, this is a little bit this is a little bit of a letdown." That is absolutely bonkers. Like and it's especially crazy that he's this good. Without a three, without really a three-point game at all in today's NBA, when that where that's so important, Giannis is not a good shooter. He's, I mean, he's shooting twenty-eight percent this year. He's about about twenty-eight percent of his lifetime. Like he is, he's really kind of breaking the mold of what we kind of, I guess, expect the skill set of a superstar in today's NBA to be. But oh my God, he is so good. And again, he's only twenty-six. Like. And that's what's really crazy about the NBA is, like, I'll look at some of these guys' ages and be like, what? Like, this person is supposed to be better in three years than they are now? Like, Giannis, in theory, hasn't hit his prime yet, which is just scary. Uh, the addition of Drew Holiday, I feel like, was a big thing. I, I just love everything about Drew Holiday. I am just a huge Drew Holiday fan. I He just does everything the right way. Great person. He's got to be so good for the locker room might be the best individual like I, to me he's the best defender in the league that isn't a big man um nobody is surprised right now where the bucks are they could even take a 76 for the first seed nobody would be surprised they're still they're still one of the best defensive teams in the league right now and i to be honest though Giannis not getting better as a shooter i think they're going to kind of find themselves in the same position they've been in the last couple of years where it's just they're going to be able to kind of just cave on Giannis when he gets into the paint. And I could definitely be wrong, but I, I think that's why it's going to end up unfolding. So on to the Nets, the third seed. Man, the freaking Nets, dude. They traded for James Harden. They traded for James Harden. Bonkers. Like Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden on the same offense. 
is like most most of my two K franchises I couldn't I couldn't get that much star power on the one T. Like that is absolutely insane. Again, <laughs> not a good defensive team makes like, but does it really matter when you can score as much like Kevin Durant, arguably best scorer in the NBA right now. Kyrie Irving, arguably you could you could probably you could definitely throw Steph Curry in there. Best scoring point guard in the league. James Harden, actually you could also consider the bet like depending on where you want to kind of define his role. I would say right now Harden at point, Kyrie at the two. Yeah. Are you arguably the two best scoring guards in the NBA? Like absolutely insane. And of course, my boy and the actual best player on the Nets, Joe Harris, <laughs> who oh man, what what can I say about Joe Harris? Listen, Kevin Durant may be cool, but he's only shoot he's only shooting 43% from 3. Joe Harris is shooting 50%. How do you shoot 50% on the type of volume that he's putting up? Like, Joe Harris isn't a guy that just throws up two or three a game. Yeah, he, he, yeah, he's, he's, yeah, he is making, like, he's, he's doing numbers. Joe Harris, I don't know that I want to go so far as to say he's the most underrated player in the NBA. But that's absolutely how far I want to go. Joe Harris is so good. And the fact that he's probably like the fourth, fifth best player on this roster, nuts. Yeah, I, I want to say the biggest thing that I've taken away from the Nets this season is that James Harden was able to fit into that offense with absolutely no buffer, period. He showed up and I'm pr- I, he, he put up like 30, 10, and 8, like his first game. Like he. He showed up, and it's already working. We'll see if their like their defensive woes come back to haunt them. But I think the more they play together and the more chemistry they build, they're going to become a better defensive team. They're not going to be satisfied with being one of the worst defensive teams in the league. They're going to keep winning games and come playoff time. I think they're going to be a good enough defensive team to really, really make a run. There's just too much talent. Uh, the Celtics coming in at the fourth seed. Um... I, th- I would say this was where most people expected them to be at. Um, they didn't really improve too much in the offseason. They didn't really do anything. They just lost Gordon Hayward for the most part. So I would say this is about where they would, they uh, were expected to be. What have you seen from the Celtics so far? The the most interesting thing I've kind of seen is um, sort of the step back. Or not not even necessarily step back, but sort of kind of step out of the – of the of the limelight from Kemba Walker after last year put up 20, 20 plus points in his first season with the Celtics, this year only scoring about sixteen a game as some of the some of the young guys really started coming to the round. Jason Tatum, absolutely crazy. Jalen Brown also having a career best season, and they're twenty two and twenty four. Like, yeah, it is a very very deep team. And a very, very young and exciting. Like, I love so many of the names on this roster. And granted, a lot of them, like, will Peyton Pritchard ever be as good as I thought he was going to be? Will Sammy Ojale ever live up to the lofty expectations I put on him? Absolutely not. But, like, it's a very exciting team to watch. Yeah, I mean, especially when those guys are coming off your bench and are just role players. Like, there is nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Even if they don't turn into stars or anything like that. Um, the biggest thing with Kemba Walker, to me, is not the 16 points. It's 
how inefficient those 16 points a game have been. On 36% shooting, this is not typically what you're getting out of Kemba Walker. He he isn't fitting into that offense as well as I thought he would. Um, but yeah, I just want to shout out Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown's numbers because they're pretty ridiculous. Tatum is averaging 26, 7, and 5 right now. Brown is averaging 26, 6, and 4. Um, right, I mean, they've got to be the best wing duo in the league. I mean, I can't think of anybody that's better than them. No, yeah, it, it, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm not sure if they've done enough to get them over the hump to win a title this season, but they are surely going to be in contention. Uh, coming into the fifth seed, this is a team that I watched one game of at the beginning of the year and was sold. I, I, I literally thought about betting a ludicrous amount of money on the Pacers to make the uh, Eastern Conference Finals. It's just too risky now that the Nets got hardened, though. It's just, it'd be too risky of a, of a deal. Um, but yeah, what, what have you seen? I, I know you're a big uh, DeMontis Sabonis fan. What have you seen out of him this season? I do love me some Sabonis, and dude has been a walking triple-double. He is crazy. I was not the highest guy on Sabonis coming out of college. I thought some of the injury stuff I was a little bit concerned about. I just didn't think that his I, – I didn't think his frame was going to work. And I'm going to be real. This dude is This dude is skinny. But he is really making it work this year. Like, he's, yeah, tri- walking triple-double really is the best I can say for him. Like, I don't think – I don't care who you were, but coming into the league, there is no way anybody looked at Delonta Sabonis and said, this dude is going to put up – is going to do 2012 and 6. Like, he's ridiculous. Incredible shooter. One guy who's really surprised me is another guy who I was – I guess, I guess kind of short-sold their talent was Malcolm Brogdon, oh, who... so good. I liked Malcolm Brogdon. I'm a Bucks fan. Like, watching him watching him be that guy, especially his rookie year, very exciting. But when we lost him, I wasn't, I wasn't heartbroken. I was like, oh, okay, I guess. No, we lost a solid sixth... I saw him as, like, a solid sixth-man type. Like, never really... Like, oh, I don't know, Dennis Schroeder, kind of like... Net, not going to blow you away, but very like strong additional roster. Yeah, I think he's the leading scorer on the Pacers. Like, he is crazy. Yeah, I mean he's averaging twenty one five and seven right now. He's doing everything the Pacers need him to do. Uh, my overall thoughts on the Pacers are they kind of have the same problem that the Nets have, where they got a lot of firepower on offense, but defensively there's a lot left to be desired. And if the and that, it's really surprising because the Pacers notoriously over the last couple of years have been a great defensive team, but I mean they switched head coaches and I guess we'll see how that ends up working out for them. Uh, yeah, they're they're going to have to outscore teams if they're going to want to win in the playoffs. Like they're just going to have to not miss essentially. So on to the sixth seed. It is <laughs> I I can't even believe I'm saying this right now, Nate. But the New York Knicks. Your New York Knickerbockers are coming in at the number six seed with Julius Randle averaging 23 points, 11 rebounds, six assists, and shooting 40% from the three-point line. What? Like, I just want to know what your thoughts are right now on the Knicks. I can't even believe right now that they, if the playoffs started today, they'd be in. I'm going to be that guy to start this off. I just want to throw a little water on the, on the Knicks hype train. 14 and 15 is not a good. The Knicks may be a playoff team, 
but they're not a good team. Like, yeah, Julius Randle has been insane. Emmanuel Quickly has been one of the coolest, like, surprises in the NBA, which Knicks fans are 100% going to be like, oh, we saw, like, we knew it. We, like, no. Emmanuel Quickly has been super surprising. Ah, and he's been awesome. It has been so cool to see. It pains me that Obi Toppin really has just not quite gelled yet. Like, I I still maintain that he's going to be a very good player for the Knicks. But, man, he just did not take off the way I thought he would. And I, But I think if he can't, like, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pump up Obi Toppin a little more. If Obi Toppin can take that next step, which you totally can. Dude is all-world talent, like, older than most guys coming into the league at 22. Like, it wouldn't be crazy to see him. And he hasn't been terrible, necessarily. He just hasn't really been playing all that much because he hasn't he hasn't really played his way. He hasn't really justified getting minutes, especially with Julius Randle just going absolutely berserk. But if he can take that next step, I think this could be – this could be a playoff team that actually has a winning record. Yeah, um, one big um, transaction that the Knicks were able to complete was getting Derrick Rose. I mean, I was watching Derrick Rose on the Pistons earlier in the season, and he was just... I don't even really know how to put it, because like, I don't want to say he's, like, back, because he's not. Like, it's it's kind of impossible. Like, he's just aged too much out of that athleticism he had, but... Minus the athleticism, it's, it kind of seems like I'm watching old D. Rose. Like, it's, the athleticism isn't there, but the play style is, and it's been incredible to watch. I don't see how the Knicks don't hang on here unless the Heat are able to make some kind of run, and we'll talk about them later. But, yeah, um, I'm very surprised to see the Knicks at the, at the sixth seed. For sure. Another team I'm surprised to see uh, at the seventh seed, the Hornets, led by Mr. Gordon Hayward. Yeah, uh, shout-out Gordon Hayward. Uh, was not super bullish on him going to Charlotte at all. Like looking at Charlotte, like looking at Charlotte, this is a team I do not like. Like, not not like a, a dis, like a personal dislike. But looking at this roster, it's a bunch of guys who I'm like, oh, I don't like that. Like, I don't think that guy is that good. Like Terry Rozier, like. <laughs> Like, I, I love a good scary Terry joke as much as anybody, but, like, t- what, Terry Rozier putting up 24 and 3? Like, I literally, there's not a single world where I would have been like, oh, yeah, scary Terry's going to sh- gonna shoot 45% from beyond the arc, second in scoring on the – I mean, I guess I might have been able to predict he was second in scoring on that team. <laughs> yeah. But LaMelo Ball, definitely a guy I ragged on a lot. I will 100% own that. Well, he is blown away my expectations. Granted, still definitely a lot of development in the in the offensive game, or not even the offensive game as a whole, just just the shooting, basically. We can figure that out, which it, it's kind of looking like he has. He's been really good lately. He, I, I don't know that, it's, that we can really say he's figured it out 100%, but, man, he, he is a special, special player, and he's only going to get better. 15, 6, and 6 as a rookie is nuts. That is so hard to do. And a steal and a half, like. Yeah, I mean, my overall thoughts right now are the Hornets need to make sure that they're getting 
LaMelo 25 minutes a game at least. Because right now, I saw this out a couple weeks ago, but they lose almost every single game they don't play LaMelo more than 25 minutes. Essentially, every time they don't do that, they lose. So I think the key for them is to keep getting LaMelo minutes because if you keep, they keep getting him minutes, he's going to improve. If he's improving and he's working really well with the scheme, it's just overall good for everybody for him to get those minutes. Um, all right, and then on to the final seed. We're going to go on to the Raptors. The Raptors, right, I, I mean, it's... I don't think anybody expected the Raptors to be all the way down here right now. Um, I, I would say I would expect them to be where the Knicks are, just based on talent. But man, the Raptors! I want to say they were they were all the way down at the 12-13 seed at some point during the season. But they're they're starting to hit their stride as expected. Fred VanVleet's been going really off. He's been going off. Siakam's finally starting to kind of get back into the form where we know him. Um, what have, what have you seen from the Raptors? Do you think that? They have any chance of doing anything in the in the postseason? I, I think they do. I think the le- the level of the level of talent that has been established on this roster is too good for me to to see them not being a team. I th- I do think they'll end up kind of in that four, five, six spot by the end of the year, just because one, the 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 teams that are in the playoffs in the East right now are just not that great. The Raptors, nobody will try to argue that the Raptors are a worse team than the Hornets, the Knicks. Like, push comes to shove, this is still one of the most talented rosters in the East. Um, And they are starting to really kind of, yeah, like you said, kind of find their groove. And I think they'll be able to carry that on. I just, there's too much talent on it. I feel like there's too much talent to fail, which is never a good thing to say because literally all that's going to lead to is all the all the talent on this roster failing, but I don't know, man. Like, I just can't. Pascal Siakam is not as bad as he started this season off, as he ended last season. Like, this is a team that w- had had Siakam not had that really rough postseason. Like, this was a, we were considering this team a title contender. By, like at when the bubble started, like Absolutely. not enough has changed since then for me to drastically change how I feel about the team. I do still think that they are a one of the stronger teams in the East overall, and I think they'll continue to show that. So three teams I'm just gonna very very briefly mention in the East, and then gonna get right onto the West. Um, the Wizards have me been one of the surprises of the entire league. Um, in a negative way. <laughs> I, mean, I thought, I didn't think the Wizards were going to be competing for like a three seed or anything like that, but I expected them to be competing, at least for like the play-in games. Like, to try to make the playoffs, they've been horrible. I feel so bad for Bradley Beal. I mean, if he were, if he requests a trade or tries to force his way out of there, I am not going to be upset in any way, shape, or form. Like, do you, Bradley Beal? Like, I feel so bad for him right now. Um, Bulls and Heat, those are two teams that could end up finding their way into the playoffs after these playoff games ended up end up finishing up. Um, and the Heat were in the finals last year, and right now they just have not been able to find their groove. A lot of injuries, though, hindered uh, the season. And then with the Bulls, I'm just curious to see if the combination of Levine and Kobe White are able to put them – they're just able to win those playing games. Because I think that's where they're going to be, around that 9-10 to 10 seed spot, where they're going to they're have a chance. They're going to have a chance. Um, on to the West, 
we're going to get into a team that I made some predictions on earlier, and I did not have them in the top eight. <laughs> oh, man, really? Or I might have had them at like the 60 or something like that, but I had them really, really low going into the season. The Jazz were always a team I don't really know what to think about. It didn't seem like Mike Conley had meshed into that lineup. There was just there were so many problems that I saw, but obviously I was just completely wrong. The chemistry is just completely there. I mean, Donovan Mitchell is exactly what everybody thinks Donovan Mitchell is. Gobert, one of the best defensive players in the league. They just they seem to know how to play with each other, and sometimes that means more than talent. Absolutely. Uh, Want to really shout out the bench is such a big like part of why they're good. They have one of the best benches in basketball right now. Jordan Clarkson, a guy who I had honestly written off. Like I was really, I there was a point where I was really excited about what I thought Jordan Clarkson could be, and he definitely is not. Be, I, I wouldn't say he's become that quite, but he's like. He's coming close, coming off the bench for the, like, he is ins- absolutely insane. Hasn't started a single game all year. He's the second, he's the second leading scorer on the team. Like, he is so good. Joe Ingles, like, I don't even need to say anything about Joe Ingles. Joe Ingles is the man. Derek Favor, like, this is such a deep team. And when you combine, like, when you combine that, mu- that good of depth with, the all with just the all world talent they have. Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell, like you said, absolutely insane duo. Mike Conley, on any given day, one of could, can absolutely be one of the best point guards in the NBA. Like he, this is such a talented team. I still, I don't know how I feel about putting them in the finals, which feels crazy considering how much better they've been than pretty much everybody. But yeah. Um, this is a really good team. Very fun team to watch. Yeah. I don't, I, enough has been said about Donovan Mitchell, but he is just such a fun player to watch. Like, oh, man. And so on the Lakers as the second seed, okay, I, I need to get something off my chest. I, it's, it's a very big thing. Nate, I don't even think you know this. Most of the listeners that know my takes – are also probably going to be surprised by this. But I have come to a conclusion with much, much thought. And I personally think that Mr. LeBron James is the greatest player to ever play basketball. I I fought it for a long time. I was almost a hater. But I went, and after they won the title this year, and I went back and I watched the 2018 finals, that game one, and just watched how good LeBron can be with that terrible of a roster. Nobody's ever done that before. I just needed to get off my chest. That, that was what I wanted to mention about the Lakers. Was that I personally now think that LeBron James is the greatest player to ever play. That is one I, oh man. I don't even know what to say to that. That's such a strange thing to hear coming from you. Uh, I would yeah, I'd be inclined to agree. Dude is... It, it's sort of like the Tom Brady argument where Tom Brady is just in the Super Bowl so goddamn much. What is LeBron in 10 straight finals now? Uh, it's not straight. Oh, it's not. Oh, yeah, yeah, that got broken yeah, up. There was, I think it was eight straight. Eight straight? And oh, my God. Like, I don't. Like, listen, 
I don't care that Jordan went to six in 106. Dude has so many, like, uh, early playoff exits, like, ten finals. Dude is insane. Like, I, I've said it for a long time that LeBron could absolutely win MVP every single year that wouldn't be a bad – it wouldn't be a bad pick. Like, the only thing stopping that from happening is that it would be really boring if the award went to the same person every year. But, yeah, LeBron James, man. Yeah, I mean, that, I mean, that was all I, want. I just needed to get that off my chest so everybody knew. Like, that, that's, that's my take now. Um, yeah, I mean, you guys have all watched the Lakers. Like, I can't, I can't give you any information on the Lakers that you guys haven't already seen. Yeah, I mean, yeah, LeBron is the reason that I don't know that I would say the Jazz are my favorite team in the West or my, my favorite to win the West because how do you beat LeBron James? It's, it's been done a couple times, like literally a couple times. LeBron James with a roster that is competent, even a little bit, is borderline unstoppable. It's insane. And this Lakers team isn't just competent. This Lakers team. Oh yeah, Anth- I, I, I'm picking the Lakers. What? Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis is probably the best player LeBron has ever played with. Like, no respect. No, no disrespect to Dwayne Wade. No disrespect to Kyrie Irving. But man, Anthony Davis. He's a unicorn. All right, on to the third seed, the Los Angeles Clippers. What I have noticed from them this season personally is that they are taking the regular season seriously. They understand how detrimental it was to them last year to not take the regular season seriously. And what I'm seeing is Kawhi and Paul George really meshing. They're both putting up their numbers. They're both fitting the offense really well. Uh, it seems like it seems like Ty Lue really knows what he's doing. He's kind of getting the most out of his players right now. Yeah, absolutely. Again, this is another team where... It seemed there, there was a really negative narr- narrative around them after the, after last year's playoffs about oh this team like this team can't get it done, but like Paul, with the, it's another kind of situation sort of like the Raptors, where um, but to an even greater extent where I don't really care how bad they play for a couple game stretch like this team is just too talented to fail Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. You could probably argue. I would probably I would put LeBron and AD over them. But how many other duos in the NBA can you say are as purely talented as Paul George and Kawhi Leonard? I don't think you can. It, I really don't think you can. They're insane. They have the best six man in the NBA, Lou Williams. Like it's another team like the Jazz that is just so like they have a lot of depth. Marcus Morris and Lou Williams have just been so fantastic for them off the bench. Uh, Reggie Jackson, another guy like this is such a good team that if I were if I were to take a team that isn't the Lakers to go to the finals, it would probably be the Clippers just because I have such a hard time hard time betting against what Kawhi Leonard and Paul George can do when they're at their best. Like Paul George is such, like, he gets so, so disrespected. It is crazy. And I, like, and it's been happening for years, ever since, like, even since the Pacers days. Like, he is such an underrated player, even still, which is insane. This is such a good team. They should absolutely hold on to the, the, one of these top three spots. And I would even pick them to go even higher. Yeah, I 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm probably gonna get a. I'm probably gonna learn my lesson again from the Utah Jazz, but I, I think we're actually gonna we're gonna get the matchup we wanted to see last year yeah. with the Lakers and Clippers. Um, so we're gonna move on to the Suns. And to me, the story of the Suns, just overall, just to wrap it up really quick, is just the addition of Chris Paul and Monty Williams. It, it, they brought, it brought veteran leadership to that locker room, which was so needed. Devin Booker doesn't know how to win yet, which is not any discredit to Devin Booker. He just had nobody to teach him how to win. And now he's got Chris Paul there, like one of the best point guards to ever play the game. Great coach. Just every, everything seems like it's materializing, and that big three they have right now, like, it could be great. Absolutely. All right, and then for the fifth seed, we have the Portland Trailblazers. The Trailblazers are a team where year in and year out, I never know how to feel about them. They could be the eight seed. They could be the three seed. It's truly impossible to know where the Blazers are. The currently they stand at the fifth seed. Like, what have you seen so far from Dame and CJ? I mean, yeah, actually, that's that's pretty accurate. After those two, like, there's there's some good pieces on the team. Don't get me wrong, but it, it, it very much is kind of their show. And I mean. They're doing what they do every year. They're absolutely incredible. Like, oh, man. Damian Lillard, I don't see. It, it, he's one of those where I feel like he, he gets a lot of credit, but maybe not quite as much as he deserves. Like, he is so, so good. CJ McCollum definitely doesn't get the respect he deserves. Just being the second option, I don't know that he's as good as Dane, but is he that far off? Like, he is... So so good, and just absolutely does not get any respect. It's it's like with Dame, he is just such a fan favorite. Just I mean, just in the entire league, everybody really respects Dame, especially just because while I am pro player movement, and I think it's good for the league, and I in my real life wouldn't be at a, like wouldn't want to be at a job that I hated and everything. Like, I would want to try to find a new way, find a new way out, be at a better company. So I I completely get it. But, I mean, players that are just willing to stick it out like Dame is right now, like, I mean, the Blazers really have no shot to win. Like, real, realistically, they have no shot. Like, they couldn't compete with a team even like, the, they wouldn't be able to compete with, like, the Jazz, I don't think, in a playoff series. Yeah. Um. But they're just really good. Year in and year out, they're very consistent. They're super fun to watch. And they added Melo and Melo coming off the bench. Like, it's, it's, he hasn't been great so far, but I think when it really starts to matter, the Melo's just, you're going to go run the offense through Melo off the bench. At the very least, well, he, he definitely has not been Carmelo Anthony, and I don't think we're ever going to see him be Carmelo Anthony again. It has been cool to see him kind of in the, not the spotlight necessarily, but kind of people looking at Melo again and talking about him in a way that isn't just, oh my god, Carmelo Anthony's contract is killing the, the Knicks. Yeah, 100%. People are looking at him in a positive light, and I really like it. And even me, like, I changed my perspective on him. Um, so we got the Spurs coming in at the sixth seed. It's what a showcase of how good Greg Popovich is as a coach. DeJounte Murray getting hurt last year, it really, really put a hold on their chances to make playoffs. But the Spurs are just overall, they've, they've just done everything they're supposed to. And that, that is like a Greg Popovich team. They, they're just they're not very talented, but they're winning games. Yeah, it's especially interesting from a team coached by Greg Popovich to see a guy as young as Kelvin Johnson 
really contributing in a big way. 14 and a half points, seven rebounds a game, two, two and a half assists. Like, we're re- it's really, it's strange to see such a young guy getting, one, so much run uh, under Popovich, but also just like, when was the last time you can remember a young player just really just being super incredible? I guess I guess DeJounte Murray is kind of doing the same thing right now. But yeah, since Kawhi, really. Yeah, like, it, he's... It's crazy. It is, it's cool to see a young-ish Spurs team. I mean, young for a Spurs team, Spurs team, you know. Mm-hmm. LaMarcus Aldridge and DeMar kind of bring the average age up a little bit. But, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about this team. Devin Vassell, who they just drafted, I he's going to be so good. You could, you heard it here first. Dude is an absolute beast. I am so excited to see when he gets really unleashed. Yeah, I think the big thing right now for the Spurs is surprise. It just the thing that surprises me so much about them being the succeed is Lamarcus Aldridge is averaging is averaging fourteen points and four rebounds a game. It's just for Lamarcus Aldridge that is not what you want. Like he's he's supposed to be a lot more of a volume guy, especially on the boards. Like mm-hmm. I don't exactly know what's wrong, but he really really needs to get after it. Four rebounds is just not good enough. Um, but the Spurs right now are succeed. I don't know that. I would assume that they'll drop a little bit, but they're gonna—they're at least gonna like have a chance to make playoffs, like in the playing playing games, because the next team I have on the the next team that comes up in the seats, if they don't pass the Spurs, I'm gonna be shocked. Yeah, I don't know how they're where they're at right now, but the Nuggets are coming in at the seven seed, and I just want to do a little rant right now about how incredible Nikola Jokic has been this year. Maybe the most impressive stat line that I have ever seen. This dude is averaging 27 points, 12 rebounds, 9 assists on 56% shooting from the field, and 38% from the three. It is absolutely absurd. And this is a center. Like, we're talking about a center here. He is... I mean, he's I mean, he's one of my favorite players in the league right now. Nobody has ever done it the way he's doing it right now. And obviously, there is some defensive woes with him. But who cares? Like, who cares? Absolutely. He is my MVP. And I don't care if the Nuggets finish at the seventh seed. If he keeps us up, he's my MVP. Yeah, I could absolutely see it. And the, the craziest thing about this Nuggets team to me is, well, I mean, they're sitting at seven, which they absolutely should not be. This is a team that I wouldn't be that shocked if they were, the, like, obviously not this year. It's, the, the start has not been great, or not, not that it's been good, but, like, they haven't gotten off to a hot enough start, I don't think, to make their way up to that number one seed. But by, like, next year, this, is, this team absolutely has the talent to do that. Michael Porter Jr., here is my rant. Michael Porter Jr. is one of the most talented young players in the NBA, and this dude has started like half of the Nuggets games. Imagine Michael Porter Jr., let's say next year, now two, three years removed from that knee injury in college, finally, hopefully getting the playing time he deserves from the Nuggets. This guy, there's a... I, I like comparing players to LeBron, never a good thing. But the fact that there were LeBron comps coming out, coming out of college, or not yet, actually going into college more so, after, once the knee injury happened, that kind of overblew everything. But it is insane that the Nuggets got him where they did and that they're not playing him more. Because he, even in limited time, 50% field goal, 
he's shooting 40% from three on really strong. He, he takes the second most three-point attempts on the team per game. Like, he's incredibly efficient. He He's a, just an overall just fantastic player. Two and, a, two and a half steals and blocks combined. Like, he is a he's a game-changing player who is just not being given the chance to be the game-changer he can be, which, I mean, part of that is it is kind of hard when you have Nikola Jokic on your team. It, yeah, it's, it's kind of a big shadow living, but this is a this is an incredible team that could just be even more incredible. Like, I think one issue with Porter is that even since he's been in the league, he's kind of been in and out of the lineup, and even this season he's been in and out of the lineup, so... I think the Nuggets are just, they are not trying to overload him right now. They're just trying to give him what he can, get him his NBA minutes, get that improvement in. But I think mostly they're focused on getting his body at 100%. Mm-hmm. I think that's all they really care about right now. Come playoff time, though, I mean, towards the end of the season, you got to think Porter's going to be averaging 20. you, you oh, got to think he's going to be hitting 20 by game 70. you you got to think that. I 100%. Like... I feel bad. Like if the Nuggets really aren't able to just improve and like climb up this ladder right now, I feel bad for whoever has to play them in the first round. I feel terrible for them because they worked really hard this season and they did not deserve to have this onslaught be their first round matchup. <laughs> uh, to finish off, we go with uh, with my personal like favorite team to watch, um, the Warriors. Um. The eighth seed, I would say, is a testament to how good Steph Curry's been this year because that roster is just not impressive. Like, Andrew Wiggins is their second option <laughs> right now. And this sounds crazy, but Wiggins is actually a good player. Like, Wiggins is good. Wiggins isn't great. He's not a star. Like, he's not going to be in, like, all-star voting contention or anything like that. But if he was the third option for the Warriors right now behind Steph Clay. Things would be going so well right now for the Warriors. Like, they could be top of the NBA right now as far as record goes. But he's been good. But overall, like, the Warriors, just even being at the 8th seed right now, it's just a testament to Curry. Yeah, it is It is very evident that they're missing Clay. Like, this season more than anything. Like, if last season was more than anything a testament to how important Curry is to this Warriors roster... This same thing is kind of happening this year with Clay Thompson because they that his the defense he brings is so sorely missed, it is crazy and it really like the the poor season we've seen from Draymond Green is crazy. Draymond Green right now is eleventh on the Warriors in scoring per game. So so some guys scoring more per game than than Draymond Green who's shooting. 36% field goals for a guy who scores like he does, like in the style he does is disgusting. 19% from three, disgusting. 40, like 45% on twos is insane. Like, that's bad for any player. But fucking Draymond Green was incredible at one point. But now he's getting outscored by Juan Toscano Anderson. What can you tell me about Juan Toscano Anderson, Joe? No, you better be. We better be watching that Juan Toscano Anderson slander. That's, that's <laughs> what I got on that. Oh man. Um, it is pretty insane. I mean, he still is averaging eight assists. 
Yeah, six boards and eight assists. So he I and mean, he still runs the offense, which is like it's pretty crazy to see. But he just does not. He is not concerned with scoring in any way, shape, or form. But he's got. I mean, he, if he could score, he's scoring five a game right now. Five points a game. If he could up that to like even just like eight points and could get that field goal percentage up around forty-five, like that'd be so much better. That would be so much better right he just he just needs to focus on that but overall i mean he's he's old he was never super athletic he was more of just like a he he is a high iq and he plays hard but just the dwindling athleticism it's it's going to take a toll on draymond but he could I and mean, he he still runs the offense and well like you still want him in the starting lineup absolutely yeah, those are the final thoughts on the Warriors. Um, those are those wrap up the eight teams in the West. Just the, just two teams I wanted to briefly touch on. Um, the Mavericks not being in the top eight right now surprises me. It, it's starting to seem like uh, Chris Dapps, Porzingis, like the Knicks were smart for trading Porzingis. Mm-hmm. It's starting to really seem like that. He just he has he has too many health problems. He has too many problems staying in the lineup. He. He's a good defender, but he's not a great scorer. There just there were so many dirt comparisons that I think that was why they got sold on trading for him. But he's not Dirk. He's not. He's not Dirk. He's good. He's a good player, but if you, if he's your second option, I mean you're you're they're they're about where they're supposed to be right now. Luca is incredible, but he can't he can't play defense. So yeah. it's tough. He really is like he's like really really bad on defense. So. It's okay because he makes up for more than makes up for it on the offensive end, and he's big, he's lengthy, so he can, I mean, he can make some plays on the defensive end. Don't get me wrong, but a team is just so bad defensively that they're. I, I'm not. I, I'm shocked because like going into this season, I thought they were going to be better, but just from watching them, they're they're right where they're supposed to be right now. And then the Pelicans. The Pelicans are a team that has just like hurt me. They've just hurt me this season, like. <laughs> I am a huge Lonzo Ball fan. I'm a huge Lonzo Ball fan. I like he he to me is like like he like he could like be Jason Kidd. Like he is so talented. He understands the game so well. But like I just don't think he has any confidence. I don't think Lonzo's confident at all. Like so much of shooting in basketball is just believing that that ball is going to go in because if every time you shoot it you're like i really don't know it's probably not going to go in it, it, all, it all when you make a basket and it feels lucky that's when you know you got a problem and i almost feel like that's the way lonzo is right now where he's just still he's more confident than he was last year but he's still not there and but zion and brandon ingram don't make any sense together none they, it's I, i'm just watching it i don't think it's ever going to work yeah, I don't know about the fit there either, uh, but <laughs> at the same time, it's also kind of obvious between the two who the Pelicans should go. Like, I honestly, who do you I, think? <laughs> oh, it has to be Zion. You've got to build around Zion. Like, okay, I was just curious. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I feel like you. I don't. I don't even know that's really controversial. But Zion is so good. Not to say Brandon Ingram isn't also incredible, but if if I if if the Pelicans are going to sit me down in his office and be like, all right, you have to move one of these guys right now, it, I, I wouldn't even have to think it would be Brandon. I would, I would be Brandon Ingram immediately. I think the Pelicans are going to find themselves in purgatory because they're going to be too scared to make a move. That that is honestly my prediction for their future. Is I don't think they're I don't think they're going to want to get rid of one of them. They have to get rid of one. 
The, yeah. the fit doesn't. The fit just doesn't make any sense. It's the, the the paint is too clogged right now. Like unless they could somehow, the only fix that I could possibly see is if somehow you could get Brandon Ingram to play a, like a, the like a small ball five. Ooh, I, yeah, I don't know. Or I mean, you could do Zion too. I feel like Zion. Well, you could do Zion at the small ball five and Brandon Ingram at the four. But you have to get you have to get you have to get more shooting. You have to get. You just have to get more shooting on the lineup. You can't have Stephen Adams, Ingram, and Zion in the same starting lineup. It just does. It doesn't work. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, that <clears throat> that wraps up the NBA. Just overview in general. Just kind of how we feel about the league right now. Um, so yeah, that's going to finish up the third segment. All right. Well, that wraps up the Juicy Joe Show with Nate Watt. I just wanted to thank you guys all for tuning in. So might have noticed that there was a co-host change and like also we're kind of rebranding the podcast um my former partner nick henricks um there's just some time conflicts so we weren't really able to work out being able to record the show consistently unfortunately um nothing but respect to him he's amazing um so new co-host nate watt uh you got anything to say Nah, I'm just glad to be here i got big shoes to fill nick henricks is a good dude but i'm super excited to uh get going with this look forward to being back here same time next week all right well awesome thank you guys so much for tuning in today and uh show should be coming out soon and we'll see you guys next week peace